Today, we talk to serial entrepreneur Jeremy Parker about his journey and how companies can better engage with clients, remote employees, and leads. Welcome to The Friday Habit with Benjamin Manley and Mark Labriola II. The Friday Habit is for creators, entrepreneurs, and agency owners looking for actionable ideas on how to grow their business and be more profitable. We'll pull from our combined knowledge of over 20 years and interview thought leaders that will inspire you and give you the motivation you need to kick your business into high gear. Buckle up. It's Friday. And welcome to the Friday Habit. So excited. Today we have Jeremy Parker uh, on the episode. He's a serial entrepreneur, uh, having created multiple successful organizations over the course of his career. Uh, most recently, Jeremy has co-founded Swag.com, an online marketplace offering a wide variety of customizable branded content that people actually want. Welcome to the Friday Habit, Jeremy. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on here. And uh yeah, as you're listening to the episode, if you have a second, check out his uh, website, Jeremy's website, swag.com. Uh, we'll be talking about it a lot during this episode, but I think you'll be immediately impressed at the quality and kind of some of the cool stuff that he's creating there. But before we get into that, I have a very important question. Jeremy, would you rather have a lion as a pet or have a hawk as a pet? <laughs> I think I'm, I'm all about the lions. Get to pet them. Get to see them. I feel like I would lose the hawk. They would just fly away and never see me again. <laughs> but haven't you ever seen those guys with those like big old oven mitt on and the hawk comes and like <laughs> like flies and hangs on to their oven mitt and then they like have it go get them a rabbit or something like that. <laughs> go fetch me dinner and it just flies away. Yeah, exactly. Ah! Just Wait, a- that's the sound that a hawk makes, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that a, a hawk makes a sound yeah. kind of like right. that. Well, or have you seen the Tiger King? Would it be cool, like you know, the Tiger King, you know, having like lions? Wait, <laughs> then you'd be the Lion King, but that's that's something different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, hey, Jeremy, thanks so much for for joining us here today. Um, really, I'd like to get to know you a little bit. You know, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where you grew up, where you're from. And uh, kind of your your first uh, journey uh, into becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah, it sounds great. Yes, I've been an entrepreneur pretty much my uh, my entire life. I'm 35 now. I, I used to actually be a documentary filmmaker. So oh, cool. I went to Boston University and I was studied film production. And before college, I was always interested in branding and marketing. I was one of these weird kids who actually enjoyed commercials. <laughs> and I would watch commercials mm-hmm. and kind of see how brands would be were selling their products. And I would really kind of be super interested when I went to BU, I was thinking, should I be a marketing, probably a marketing background, right? That's what I really wanted to do. And when I looked at the curriculum between marketing and film, they were pretty much the exact same thing, huh. except for film would teach me how to make videos. And this was at the onset of YouTube. And I figured that it would probably be a good skill set to be able to tell a story through video. So I learned mm-hmm. how to make videos. And when I was 18 or so, I, st- I created a documentary, a feature length documentary called 1% that ultimately ended up winning the Vail Film Festival. And I'm at this film festival and I was, you know, it was a really great moment. The next day, just imagine you win this film festival and then the next day they had this quote unquote celebrity brunch and half the room are these big celebrities that we've all heard of and half the room were these struggling kind of artists. And I did a really like kind of internal gut check. Like number one, do I love this? And number two, am I good enough? And at that moment, I I realized number one, I didn't necessarily love it. It was never my true passion. Mm. And frankly, I didn't think I was that good. I won this film festival, but seeing all the other films at this festival 
I was so impressed by everybody. And I said, do I really want to make this my life? Mm. So when I got back to BU, I still had a year to go, finish up school. And then I thought after I graduated, let me just start a business and see what I'm actually good at. Because I had no business experience whatsoever. So I started a t-shirt company. I thought, I thought initially that t-shirts was going to be relatively easy to start and to learn. But I realized it's right? very challenging. <laughs> it's uh-huh. like with everything. <laughs> yep. But you learn a lot about yourself. You learn, you know, am I good at marketing and PR and how to build a website and, you know, the user experience, and how to tell a story through marketing and, you know, logistics and how to sell stuff. Like mm-hmm. I, every single part of the business you're learning through, even just send, you know, starting a simple basic t-shirt company. And I launched this in 2007 which if you guys can remember 2007, this is like when all the Bear Stearns were going under, the Lehman Brothers, it was mm-hmm. the main recession. All these t-shirts that we're selling to went under, all the stores. And I had this kind of, at this time, it's kind of gimmicky. I was 22, so you have to forgive me at this point. But I came with this marketing idea that we would tie the price of our shirts to the price of the Dow Jones. And I <laughs> sent this article to Mark Cuban, and that was like the big blo- you know, the big entrepreneur I was fat following at that point. I was trying to learn as much as I could. And within 10 minutes, Mark Cuban responded to my email, which was wow. mind-blowing. Oh, wow. That's so cool. And he promoted the post, this idea, this marketing initiative on his blog called Blog Maverick, which ultimately got seen by AdAge, which did a story on me, which ultimately got seen by the CEO of MV Sport, one of the largest players in the promotional product space. And it kind of got me into this world of promotional products from a very early on. You know, it's so new to it, didn't know anything, but I became friendly with the CEO of this big company. And I kind of just learned the ins and the outs of the industry by following him, by working with him. And it led me on this kind of long journey of being an entrepreneur. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, that sounds like um, the, one of those things where it's almost serendipitous to to how everything takes place, where you're not really going out to attack a certain goal, but you just put yourself in a situation, started working and doing, and ideas and opportunities just started coming your way. A hundred percent. I think that's with everything. I think it's with swag. I think it's with any business. A lot of people get into the mindset that they have to have the, the idea or everything worked out before they launch it. Hmm. And ultimately, that really makes it very difficult for, for people to be successful. And I've had personal issues where I've even also done stuff like this, where I spent like a year and a half building a platform just to launch it and realize that 90% of features I built, customers didn't even want. Oh, and that happens. Hmm. I think a lot of entrepreneurs get into that mindset of it needs to be perfect, it needs to be perfect. But really, until you launch it, you have no idea what perfect is and you have no right. idea what your customers want. So it's with swag specifically, even it was like, let's just make money from day one. Let's just launch a website that had a landing page. Forget about building anything. Let's just learn what our customers want so we actually know what to build and, t- and, and like kind of speed up the loop. And that's really all it is. Entrepreneurship is launching something, learning from your customers, adapting, launching something else, learning from your customers, adapting and keep doing that to get to the right product. And usually people don't know what the right product is, you know, when they launch. So just get it out the door quicker. Mm. You know, you'll discover a lot of things, you know, much faster. Man, that's awesome. What did, so just out of curiosity with that, on the practical side, what kind of landing page did you have to discover? Like, how did you discover what it was your customer wanted? Did you ask a question? Did you have a quiz? Did you just have products yeah. and see like what they clicked on the most? Like, how did you do that? Yeah, for swag.com, it was very simple kind of game plan. We said we needed the, do- the domain name because we knew how valuable the brand of swag.com and how memorable it is. Mm-hmm. The industry, think of this, the industry is 30,000 plus distributors. It's wow. a $40 billion market. It's insane. It's massive. But can you think of like a company that you go to that's, that's the place to buy promotional products? There's no like go-to brand right. in the industry that's, that's the place to go, which was very telling. The second thing is all the big companies that were making tons of sales, and there's 50 companies in our space that make over 50 million in yearly sales. 
So there's a lot of people making a lot of money and there's no clear winner, which is also exciting. And the third thing is all the kind of websites that we found, they look like they were built 20 years ago because they were. So they weren't really appealing to today's buyer at all. So kind of we had this input already before we even started the business, but we didn't really know what the product should look like. We didn't know the right user experience. We had no knowledge at all. So we just wanted to get out the door. So what we did is we figured out how to get the domain name, and that's a different story, but we acquired this domain name or the, the exclusive license to use the domain name for mm-hmm. a period of time. So we have that brand name that's memorable, even without having to put the cash out the door right away. We launched a landing page that was literally... Just an, an image that we found online that was free, like on Unsplash or one of these websites, put it out there that showed t-shirts. It didn't really matter. And we became traveling salesmen for the first year. Me and my co-founder, Josh, would knock on doors. I mean, we went to Facebook. That was our first customer, Facebook ever. And our idea from the very beginning was no one's going to trust us. No one's going to work with us unless we have those big brand names that said, oh, Facebook uses swag.com. Clearly, we should use them. So we went after the big dogs. We didn't take the approach of starting at the bottom and working our way up. We went from the top down kind of approach and we went to Facebook. We did not care at all about making money. It didn't matter about the margins. It didn't matter about being profitable. It was about forming that relationship with somebody at Facebook who's willing to transact and do business with us and tell us basically what they like and what they don't like, Mm -hmm. what types of products they like, what type of experience they like, and just try to learn as much as we can. And then we replicated it. We did Facebook and then we went to WeWork and then we went to Bravo TV was the third customer. And we kept getting these big blue chip name customers without having to really worry about the margin. That wasn't our focus. Our focus was about learning. So after 2016, did about 350,000 in sales the first year, very manual, not the best of margins, but it didn't matter. 2017, we had all this knowledge. Now we had, we were speaking to 500 plus office managers. We knew who our buyer was. We knew what they liked, what types of product they liked. We realized that they wanted a curated experience. They didn't want to be overwhelmed with too many options. They didn't want to speak to people on the phone. They would rather us leave their office and do it themselves. That was a good insight. How do they want to upload their logos? How do they want to buy? You know, really, just like all the information, 2017 launched the first version of the site, did about 1.1 million. 2018, sites getting better, did about 3.1 million. 2019, we did about 7 million. And last year, we did about 15.5 million. So keep every single year really just learning from our customers and doubling down and trying to refine and keep making it better and better. But really start from that first year of just becoming like traveling salesmen and getting in the door and just learning. Hmm. So you basically, your full-time job was I am talking to customers every day, figuring out what do they want serving them and not worrying about like, hey, how how do I make money on this yet? I mean, you kind of have it in the back of your head, obviously. You're thinking, okay, I know how it's going to work, but it's all about that. How How... How were you able to get in a position where you didn't have to worry about like, okay, I need to make money on this? Like, I did you have investors? Did you have, you know, did you invest your own money? How did that work in order to be able to make the business work when you didn't have like, you know, any any customers that were you're making a margin on? Yeah. So the whole business in the beginning was just me and my co-founder Josh. So we didn't need to make that much money. You know, if we sold three thousand, we didn't need to make forty percent. It could be ten percent, but that's still money that's going into our bank account or into the business as a whole. We invested our own personal money in the beginning from previous things that we've worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were honestly okay with losing money. Like I think in, in business, you have to be also be okay with, it might not be a profitable year. As an entrepreneur, most years are not profitable. And they always say like somebody built a business and seven years later, they sold it and it's like an overnight success. But really think of many businesses failed before they got to that successful one mm-hmm. and then kind of calculate back out, well, how long did it really take them to get there? Because I would, I would assume, I don't know the, the statistics on this, but I would assume most successful entrepreneurs are not super successful in their first business. I, I don't think, I think mm. 
probably many failures, you know, many kind of moderate successes until they really get the successful outcome. And if they do, they get the successful outcome. So it was just being saying from the day one, we don't care about being a profitable year. We're okay losing a little bit of money. We're okay dipping into our savings because we want to make sure we're building the right platform. That was it. It was just like, I think if you take away the pressure of having to be 100% right from day one and you take the pressure and you say, well, I'm going to learn and then I'm going to ultimately build the right platform, I think it allowed us to to build the right thing that's been able to you know scale up fairly quickly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so when you when you first started, I mean, what was your first venture as far as dabbling into being an entrepreneur yeah. and and you saw the light of like, Oh crap. I think there's a, a formula here. You know, I think a lot of people, they, they're, they're business owners and they're not necessarily entrepreneurs. They don't have the stomach for the risk. They don't have the stomach to like, you know, put money into something and the chance of it might fail. They, they want that security of a consistent, you know, paycheck or, you know, consistent income coming in. And so I always look at people who say, well, I'm an entrepreneur, but they're not really taking any risk. I, I kind of see them as like, well, you're more of like a business owner, which is, you know, still great and awesome. But I think there's a difference between a business owner and an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And so w- what was your first venture into being an entrepreneur where you kind of like took a risk on something, you saw that there was a formula there that that would work, and then you kind of repeated it. Sure, yeah. So the first business I mentioned earlier was that high-end t-shirt company called uh, okay. Tees and Tats. And we launched it really at the worst time you could possibly launch a, a, a high-end $300 t-shirt three months before the recession. Um, after that, when I became close with the CEO of MV Sport, and, I, and that's kind of got me introduced to the promotional product space, um, I launched a division under MV Sport. So when we became close, I had this idea. And I don't know if you guys remember, it used to be a very popular company called Threadless back in the day, where basically design contests. So I had an idea that what if we took that same idea and brought it to licensed apparel? So I went to Boston University and I never bought a BU t-shirt because it just didn't look cool. But what if you could imagine going to the bookstore or the basketball stadium and have really cool graphics like with the school's logo? And I thought, would it be really awesome if we could get the licensing agreements to all these universities get a relationship with the bookstore or the stadium where we could do design contests and the winning design could be sold at the bookstore, sold at the, at the, at the sporting arenas. So we did this for close to a hundred universities really with MV sport. They had the licensing. I had to convince the licensing organization at those schools, like Purdue university had to convince the licensing to be allowing to reimagine the school's logo, which they never did before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then convincing the bookstore to be taking the winning, like pre-buy the winning designs which they've never done anything like this. So it was very challenging, but it was a unique idea. And I really learned how to manufacture and how to produce products. And it got me into this mindset of, you could really have an idea and see it come to life on a real large scale and impact people in a real way from like just like an inkling of an idea, which got me so excited. That was kind of the creativity I strive for. Mm. Um, I then joined my brother and we started this business that did product placement for YouTube videos. So now, you know, every, this is pre-Instagram, this is pre-Snapchat. Yeah. Everybody's making money. Not, there wasn't a huge influencer market back then. It was not at all. We were kind of, my brother really started this, but we were, you know, revolutionized. It was kind of like in the Wild West. We would watch these YouTube stars that were getting, you know, 20, 30 million views and they were making zero money living in their parents' basement. It was, that was the fact. And what we said, right. well, I'm watching American Idol and uh, guys drinking a Coca-Cola can where these fit people are not drinking Coke. And we're like, clearly Coca-Cola is paying American Idol millions of dollars. And these YouTube stars are getting more engagement yeah. really be, more, uh. more followers and they're making nothing. It didn't make sense. So we had this idea of what if we could get product placement in YouTube videos? 
So we brokered deals from like State Farm, Colgate, Verizon into the YouTube stars videos. We were like one of the first ever. I don't even know if any other company was doing it at this point. And they were making millions from us. Really, a lot of these guys are multimillionaires now. And then we had the idea, wow. where this is working for YouTube. We did this for about a year. What if we kind of did the same principle for real celebrities? You know, like Twitter was really early at the days. I mean, just put it in perspective, Pitbull, that was probably 60 million followers, had like 4,000 followers at this point. So it was really, really early. And we knew how wow. valuable these kind of agreements would be if we owned Pitbull, let's just say, quote unquote, a big celebrity's Twitter following. And we allowed them to monetize it through us. So we became kind of like their agent. So we hmm. went after these big celebrities and we signed on, I can't, I'm not allowed to name the celebrities, but we owned a lot yeah, of yeah. celebrity contracts that you know, you've heard of. And we just you know, bought yeah. them off and we owned them for three year periods. So we took the same exact principle. Wow. I did this business with my brother and Jesse Itzler was our third co-founder. Now we had no connections to celebrities, but Jesse did. And Jesse's background is unbelievable. You guys should all look him up. He's an amazing guy. I started Marquee Jet, private jet company, sold to Warren Buffett. He started Zico Coconut Water, sold to Coca-Cola. He's one of the owners of the okay. Atlanta Hawks basketball team. He's just a creative guy, really connected, creative, smart guy. And he was able to get us access to all of these kind of major influencers. Um, that company ultimately sold to a publicly traded company. I'm not allowed to disclose it. But after I just kept going and like finding my position and kind of like seeing what mm. is possible and, and just doing it before other people realize how valuable it was. And mm. I think that's kind of, mm. I've always kind of been able to see things and just go for it and just go all in. And if I believe in myself, we believe that we can make something happen with it. Where, where do you think that came from? Where do you think that entrepreneurial spirit or, uh, you know, tenacity to, to pursue these ideas came from? Um, I, for me, I think it's maybe my family, my dad's an entrepreneur, my brother's an entrepreneur. So I think, it became somewhat normal for me to be an entrepreneur. And I think probably a lot of families don't have, don't have that or everyone yeah. so structured in their career. And they don't ever think that I can't really do that. You know, I'm, I, I, I don't do that, but yeah. I think for me, it, it became somewhat normal, somewhat normalized and failure became somewhat normalized. And I think the, the biggest kind of thing that I have to my advantage that I try to get my friends to see and other entrepreneurs to see is that, you know, failure was this famous quote, failure kills more dreams than, Fear kills more dreams than failure ever could. So you should be totally okay with failure. Failure is, if you're okay with failure, literally anything is possible. You know, if you right. look at it that you're not failing, you're just learning. So don't fail, learn, and you're going to get better and you're going to constantly fail, but you'll learn from that failure and get better. You're always going to find success somehow. Hmm. I wonder if there's some sort of gamification too when you have you know, a dad who's an entrepreneur and a brother who's an entrepreneur where it's like, Hey, I, I kind of want to one up you, or it puts you in the mindset of thinking of like, well, what ideas could I come up with? Or, you know, what are some things that I could be creative with to make money? So I think that's, that's interesting. You know, I'd be interested to see like a study. Yeah. But for me uh, specifically, I can't speak for everybody, but I've never been really motivated by money or even thinking about the business as a way to make money. I just, I think of it more as like an idea that I, I would like to see in the market or that I find like it could be a great idea and to actually make that idea successful. It was, it's never really about the, about the money. It's just kind of, I don't know, being creative and seeing something come to life, I think is just is the most exciting part of it all. 
All right, we're going to go ahead and pause the conversation right there. So you better subscribe. If you're not subscribed, you're going to miss next week, part two. So go and subscribe to The Friday Habit wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to go to thefridayhabit.com. Uh, there you can find show notes for this episode. You can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. And at the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System. That will show you how to set aside one full day each week to work on your business instead of in your business. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, If you have questions or a topic you'd like us to cover, don't forget to record us a quick voice memo and send it to hello at thefridayhabit.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, live every day like it's Friday. Friday.